What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 39. We're joined today by the co-founder of Dragonfly 44 Capital, Michael Brotherton. Michael has a good perspective on the psychedelics industry and plenty to discuss within the space. Dragonfly 44 Capital specializes in supporting the growth and development of the world's strongest neuropsychiatry, mental health care, longevity, and wellness companies. Find out more at www.dragonfly44.capital and enjoy the show. Michael, thanks for joining me, man. It's good to have you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. For sure, it's always interesting to to bring in someone from the the psychedelic side of things. As as I'm still trying to come to grips with really what the psychedelics industry is and what it what it's going to become. But yeah. I think there's a lot to lot to dig in, man. Yep, for sure. And um, typically on the show, before digging into the business side. We like to try to learn a little bit more about our guests and kind of their background in the space. Um, did you have experience with psychedelics uh, before getting involved on the investment side or have you been um, on the business angle and kind of just just entering the space? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had had personal experience um, and then I also worked with a number of nonprofits for some time before I got into the space. And then everything sort of uh, came together while I was working at an investment bank and we were put on the IPO of Compass Pathways, which is a company that develops uh, psilocybin. And uh, yeah, I, I saw that and saw that as an opportunity to build out a specific focus within this sector and sort of approach management at the bank and uh, they let me build it out. And that was the start of everything. Oh, awesome, man. So you guys got involved earlier on in, in Compass's kind of evolution in their process? Yeah, we were we were involved uh, at the IPO. So when they they went public, I see. Um, basically, uh, you know, uh, Compass Pathways is a UK based company. One of our former research analysts was at Berenberg, and Berenberg already had this relationship with Compass, and uh, you know, they decided that they wanted to increase their their research coverage and reached out to this particular research analyst uh, after he moved over to the bank that I was working at and and um, and 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 yeah he was interested in covering the company and uh, then we formed a relationship with them and were placed on the IPO a fateful move right <laughs> yeah from that from that contract onwards to a new industry that's it yeah has have there already been pains that are unique to companies doing um, psychedelic research or, you know, uh, biochem or biomedical sciences? Um, I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, one of the hurdles definitely is going to be rescheduling. So a lot of these 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 drugs are are, are scheduled and are schedule one, and uh, and and you know that leads to a, a slower process to approval. Essentially, some states automatically will once FDA approves a drug. Some states automatically then will reschedule, and some states can opt in and out. So uh, th- there's a bit of a, a hurdle there, but other than that, it's you know it's not too much different than a typical drug development pathway. I see. In- interesting. So that it's a problem maybe early on, but then once the funding is there or the um, the permits and kind of paperwork's in place, they can they can move forward. Yeah, it's um, it was it was an issue for a long time when research was only uh, done academically. So when when you had to get you know grants and there was sort of this, I guess like the whole psychedelic space for a period of time was pretty blackballed and and you had to get research grants. It was really pretty difficult. Um, you know, it wasn't I think until. Roland Griffiths uh, really started doing some research in, I think, the early 2000s that he opened up this, uh, this like, whole new arena for research getting done within the psychedelic space that hasn't been done for some time. So, you know, there's been, it's been a little bit more difficult on that side, but when you're developing a drug and 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 have the backing funds and means to do so, then it's less prohibitive. But I don't think anyone would have believed there would be a market to develop psychedelic drugs for some time until a lot of this research was shown and demonstrated. So we sort of needed the, the academic research first and then and then, you know, companies could get the backing and actually go down the drug development route. Right. As those first few dominoes were slow to fall. I think if I were back in school, uh, I was in biology for a while. If there were if there were any angles to get into psychedelia or, you know, some of the things that are being researched nowadays, I probably would have pivoted pretty hard there. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's interesting stuff. And I think just like, yeah, I mean, I guess for people going to school now, um, I think like research and neuroscience is, is, is really is interesting and learning about the brain and, and, and how your brain works and how it interacts with drugs. And, and, uh, I think it's a really interesting time to study neuro because there is, you know, the capability for developing drugs based around psychedelics and, and, and cannabis. And I think it's, uh, I think it's an interesting time. So. Yeah, if you have yeah. any interest in that space, better going to school. It's something to think about. Right, right. It's a, uh, it's kind of like unraveling some mysteries of like human society. Man, psychedelia has been around for so long, and folks have their personal experiences, of course. But uh, being able to actually understand what's going on with those chemicals or why, you know, why different effects are happening is uh, really get into the nuts and bolts of things. Exactly. Yep. And uh, when it comes to uh, kind of how the companies are um, pursuing like pharmaceutical development of psychedelics, from my understanding, and and I have a larger experience personally with psychedelia than I do in this new space, in this emerging yeah. market. Yeah. From what I've seen, it's very, um, 
it's very much pharmaceutical and there's kind of this search for derivatives and um, like alternate alternate methods um, ways to cut out maybe part of the of a substance to focus or isolate you know different medicines and different things that I did not expect I think coming from the cannabis side where it's a little more CPG um, consume 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 um, is is that perspective kind of how you've seen the space evolving now too yeah I, I I think that there's I think that there's sort of two sides of this there 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 is this state model that's developing where they're they're handing out state licenses recently in Oregon they started handing out some licenses and some of the training programs got approved um, I don't know if anyone's specifically been dosed yet but there's sort of like this state model that's evolving and then um, you know on the federal level it's going more of a traditional drug development path I you know personally, I think both sides are interesting and it's interesting to watch them both evolve. I find the the federal FDA drug development path a little bit more interesting personally. Um, in the end, I, I, you know, I care about access and what's going to grant the most amount of access to the most amount of people. And I also care about science. So I care about what's going to enable the, the, the trials that are going to show how these substances can best be used, how they can be improved upon. I don't think that everything that we have is the best of what we have, even though it's great. I mean, like absolutely yeah. transformational and wonderful, not downplaying any of that. But I think it's cool to examine some of the new things that could come along. I mean, you take Ibogaine, for example, and, you know, Ibogaine is extremely transformational for people who are, are tolerant to opioids. Uh, it, it, it's essentially like part of it is a capital opioid agonist and, uh, and it, 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 it almost like reverses withdrawal symptoms and really, really, really shortens withdrawal symptoms where normally if someone who's very opioid tolerant, it'd be a long drawn out process. The issue is there are certain contraindications for Ibogaine and, and Ibogaine can cause, you know, certain types of, of, of cardiac issues in certain populations. It's not the smoothest of rides, is it? Yeah. So it's, it's not without risk. So there are companies that are working on next generation of Ibogaine that is, it doesn't have those same cardiac side effect profiles is, is safer. Um, and if if it achieves the same result and then, when you go through an FDA approval process, you get something that's then covered by insurance, then that's something that can be, you know, widely deployed, covered by insurance and achieve the, 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 the the greatest amount of access, I think in the country. So that's why I'm very interested in the FDA approval process uh, and the new drug development process, you know, even though I think that both of these things are good and, and yeah. both of these things should develop alongside each other. I mean, I've certainly had my own personal psychedelic experiences that have been transformative to me, and I don't want to downplay that, but I can get... Being able it, to share those benefits, right, without maybe requiring such drastic transformation or or such yeah. commitment. Right? There's, there's actual healing there inside that experience that could be kind of harnessed right not not necessarily without the ibogaine but after it you know instead of the comprehensive molecule 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. I mean, I mean that that that's part of it too. There's other you know things that you know should potentially be paired with these things to 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 increase the likelihood that they're going to improve someone's outcome um, as far as support. And I think you know we'll we'll realize more and more what type of support is necessary for each one of these substances as these programs evolve. But you know, back to the original point of access, again, it's like I can get, it's easy for me to exist in my bubble of people who've used psychedelics or in my Burning Man bubble and, and not realize that there's a whole other part of the country and a whole other part of the world out there that would never walk into a dispensary and buy a bunch of mushrooms and eat them no matter what is said. And, and then there's risks of that involved too. I mean, we saw, I don't know if you saw in the news uh, a couple days ago, there was a, uh, there was a pilot who was sitting in the jump seat of an Alaska air flight and he pulled the fire extinguishers on the engines trying to shut down the engines. Yes, and he I saw that. that. He took mushrooms and, and, wow. <laughs> and so, like, like you know, things like this uh, can be bad for the whole space, and this is why it's important to be totally. in, a, in a controlled container. And I think also, like, stories like this without the drug development stuff going on right now, without the research going on right now, you can imagine if a story like this came out and 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 mushrooms were just legalized and there wasn't this research going on and there wasn't all this clinical data that was beyond it and and we just kind of legalized mushrooms and then we had a news story like this you can imagine what the media backlash could potentially look like and i mean it's it's happened elsewhere in the world too it's happened in in the netherlands and, and, and we've seen this backlash before in the united states too yeah yeah right and that's just difficult on the um, where people are doing this work to remove the stigma, right? Companies like Dragonfly 44 are, are helping other companies realize their own visions to, to push that. And, and then we have different news articles like that that are just like, ooh, that's a step to the side, if not a little bit back. Uh, that's very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely not responsible use of, uh, of the substance at all. Where if you could get that same benefit, maybe the relaxation or the, the calmness, um, without, uh, without making risky decisions, right? There's maybe reasons for that pharmaceutical research. Yeah. yeah and I, I saw one study on, um, in, in, in a lecture that was actually talking about that study with ketamine and how using it as a, uh, an anti-suicide substance or drug is uh, kind of like unparalleled. There's actually not another substance that can just change those thoughts like drastically and quickly. Um, if folks are feeling that way or, or actually ha like, you know, having an episode where they're suicidal, that ketamine itself can kind of shock that out of them and kind of shift the perspective. I feel like that's another one that deserves that kind of pharmaceutical follow-up and really like, what is this molecule that can, you know, help people in that situation, right? It's a, I think they were explaining it how it's just there's not another medicine that they can give someone in that moment. Um, other than time and support, like the air, other things come up, but if you do have something that can just help take that um, that emotion down a, a peg, so that you can analyze it instead of just act, I think it's um, there's value for sure. It's it's yeah. hard to argue against the healing that could be done. I think where the concern maybe comes is 
where the healing's being done from and we're seeing like a very natural um, almost like like holistic kind of substance uh, kind of really hit the grinder right the capitalism grinder and become a medicine which has happened to everything already but maybe it's just we ha- we rarely get the chance to see that process like directly happening yeah yeah and i think there's a lot of you know there's a lot of sort of things that go along with this drug development process and uh you know it's definitely not the 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 most efficient system i i know like the fda is in place for a reason a lot of the reasons why a lot of these fda things are in place is because there have been sort of panics before around certain medications like hmm. thalidomide uh, years back, and 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 these panics have created these safety mechanisms that are now in place. I also think that you know there's a lot of inefficiencies just within the U.S. medical system as it is. Um, unfor- like part of that, I do believe, is because really the U.S. Uh, subsidizes a lot of the world's medicine. So we take on the brunt of cost for drug development here. And, and, and things are, are really very expensive. But, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like the U.S. has to almost pay for, for drug development because these, these control mechanisms are in place. But because these control mechanisms are in place, the U.S. is the gold standard for drug development. You can't really, you can't really develop a a, a drug that's going to get any real traction or be taken seriously unless you put it through the FDA approval process, you know, sort of in at the same time as other drug approval processes. But since it is the gold standard, you really need to go through that process. And then the U.S. ends up taking on the brunt of that cost. And Ah, and, so that's also kind of what we're seeing is just unique from being in the U.S. or being close to that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's it. And then, and then we have insurance providers that come in and have to sort of weigh risks and benefits and and whether it's cost effective for that, them. So you sort of have to prove that these things are going to be cost effective in the long term. It's a, I don't know, it's a. It's a complicated process that's definitely not uh, not completely ideal, but you, I, you can sort of get why it is the way that it is. Right. So it's right. It's like looking at it at first glance, you're like, that is a lot of red tape. This is complicated as hell. But if you step it back and look at the why, right, or how we got there and the reasoning for it, a lot of that justification can start falling in place. Yep. And I think that... I mean, yeah, when, when it comes to psychedelia and the, and the possibilities there for healing and for helping folks, uh, just truly unreal, right? For different ailments, perspective shifts, like PTSD, trauma, grief, like all kinds of things can be addressed, um, depending on the substance, the set and setting, of course, but can be actually addressed, maybe where some people can live their lives trying to ignore something, you know, or uh, handling it with other vices, maybe that aren't as healthy. Yeah, yeah. What's You mentioned going to Burning Man, man. Did you get mudded in this year? I did. Uh, I, did <laughs> nice. get in. I also did a whole uh, psychedelic lecture series at Burning Man this year. Oh, awesome, man. Like a mini conference. It was an all-day event. Um, 
from, from like 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., all different panels all throughout the day, all on different topics within psychedelics. Ooh, can you give us a little primer of some of the topics you were chatting about? Yeah, so it sort of went through like the, you know, tried to go through the whole life cycle process, I guess, just the things in general. So I don't know, we, we started out with um, just intro to psychedelics, some background on psychedelics. I'm going to forget all the panels I'm going through. The I know, yeah, I'll all good. Some highlights. <laughs> We, we went, then we went into like psychedelics and technology. So how you know, VR is being used, video games, um, neurotech, med tech devices are being paired with psychedelic experiences and even creating using, you know, creating sort of pseudo psychedelic experiences with tech themselves. Uh, then we went into a panel based on human optimization retreats. So retreats that are more focused on bringing out the best in people rather than healing specific uh, traumas that are they're more sort of for people who just want to improve upon how they are and, and why that's an important framing because it, it gets people who otherwise wouldn't use psychedelics to use psychedelics. They end up working on their trauma anyway, but, but, uh, you know, you, it's kind of hidden in there, even yeah, if, if you don't address it. And then you, you don't get stuck <laughs> in that like trauma healing loop. You're, you, you, you tend to, tend to incorporate more exercise and work on other things that I think is beneficial along with a psychic experience. And then yes, yeah. after that, we did uh, children and psychedelics. So practitioners who are, you know, treating kids with psychedelics, kids that have like really difficult to treat mental health issues. And as a last resort, people that are using psychedelics and the associations that are developing to, to really, you know, control and make sure some of that is done in an ethically and scientifically based way. But there are practitioners out there who are just, you know, doing it underground and we were talking to them as well. Um, then after that, let's start to forget a few. We had a panel on, uh, you know, the, the developing business landscape in psychedelics. We had a couple of biotech guys on. We had. Uh, oh, man, I missed quite a show. I got to get out there next time. I've actually yeah. never been to Burning Man, but uh, several music festivals that follow in its wake, I suppose. Um, nothing as big and um, kind of complete act- actually getting out, you know, away from everything. Yeah, it's 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 pretty big. It's pretty big. There's a lot going on. You you sort of feel like you're in a safe container to discuss a lot of these topics and in a very open way. And I think a lot of these speakers uh, were able to just freely speak their mind, and it was a unique platform. That's excellent. Yeah, no, I think um, it it's good to know that those kinds of conferences and kind of conversations are are happening as well, right outside of the. Outside of business, it's, that's where some good networking can happen, some innovation and things like that. I love to hear the human optimization angle with psychedelia as I think I'm one, I'm one where the, the healing angle, um, it, it doesn't attract me very strongly. And I am, not, I am not saying that I don't need healing. It's that I don't like to acknowledge it. Uh, so handling it through optimization is um, a great way to still find it. I mean, I think people should always be kind of from my perspective kind of 
looking to optimize their potential, like who they could be. And I've always been interested in that level of kind of um, biohacking and like trying to get better with nutrition and, and sleep and all those kinds of things. I think introducing psychedelics to it is just a natural evolution, especially with some personal experience, microdosing and kind of experimenting with, with smaller batch substances along the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's a, it's an interesting area. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, psychedelics, I think they can really, uh, uh, induce this sort of critical window where you're open to change and, uh, yeah. so it's like, you (laughs) might as well, might as well take advantage of that by pairing that with good habits and pairing that with exercise and taking care of yourself and eating better. And, and, and then, you know, you're going to inherently start feeling better. Right. You can't become someone new with the, with the old habits kind of dragging behind you. Yeah, that's it. And, (laughs) And you might as well like pair these things together and, and create this synergistic effect that each one of these things builds on itself. And, and I think you could really get people to a good space that way. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, um, that good space can be just so simple to find with some of the molecules that are being studied. And I recently went on uh, to a retreat in Jamaica with Fat Nugs magazine and the retreat offered a few different, a few different cultivars of mushrooms, um, like an onsite dispensary and things like that. And, uh, I am a, a, a workaholic for sure. I grind way too many projects. So it was actually difficult for me to just to be, but I think that a microdosing and having a little bit of mushrooms going on, like did help me to open up by like, you know, day two or three, it took a while, man. So I think that, um, being able to have that, not necessarily escape, but that kind of reminder of life and kind of, of nature and, and, and the, the, the realness of everything outside of the grind, I think is something that psychedelics bring to the table. And if that could be experienced in a smaller, um, like more accessible way, right? Not everyone can get out to a retreat. I think that is the that is the goal. And of course, we just run into the the human problem after that, right? Where uh, capitalism kicks in and greed kicks in, and you know the right, the substances are for sale, and that just becomes yeah. a necessary evil for the healing. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to that. That's bigger than the show. That's bigger than apartment yeah, one thirteen. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if there is to certainly like, like to the extreme. It's it's to the extreme. It's bad, and 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 when that's all you're focused on are profits, then you know it, you you tend to run into some problems. That being said. I do think that a profit-driven model can be good as long as you're trying to do good with that and then with some of those profits. And it's good for sustainability within the industry. I think that it's something that a lot of, you know, companies, retreats, organizations maybe really haven't prioritized. And I've seen these groups go under and, and, and crash and there's a lot in the space. And then that's not good for the psychedelic space if there's no real staying power. So yeah, it doesn't show, it doesn't show you guys anything promising from the capital side. If everyone's just burning hot and, and shutting off. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I want to see like, like, you know, I think that that focus towards profit 
is a good thing, but you want to make sure that it's not at the expense of, of creating a good experience and taking care of the people that you're working with. So, so as long as you're, you, you, you know, have all of those values aligned, then I think that, you know, you do want to drive yourself towards profit and long-term staying power. Um, and, and, and then that's how we'll create some real sustainable businesses within this industry and sphere. Right. And actually see that progress or, or take those next steps beyond this kind of this question mark of an era right now where the it's like the underbelly of society has always been um, dabbling uh, per se. And now they're, uh, you know, the conversations and the minds are are melding in the middle much more than they ever have. Uh, looking forward to the next, you know, five, 10 years in, in the psychedelic space to really see that evolve and, and change as we've seen the cannabis space just explode over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Phenomenal to witness another, um, potentially another industry form and, and grow, man. I feel like it's, it seem it would seem rare to say that you could see like a new cash crop or a new medicine, um, be, be researched and, and worked into society. But I feel like we're not far off from that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're right. Well, when it comes to your side here with, with Dragonfly 44, are there specific business types you're looking for or are there certain times within the business life cycle that are uh, the right times to reach out or the ones that are kind of catching your eye? Yeah. So it's sort of across the board. We try to work with companies that don't have much overlap. So we're not, uh, we're, we're not diverting resources or investors away from one and into the other. So we, we, we look at, we tend to look at neuropsychiatry. Um, you know, our clients, most of our clients now are biotech psychedelic companies. Um, a couple of them we have, you know, very low touch and it's just, they're, they're pretty good to go and they have great teams and we're really just connecting them with our network of biotech investors. And then some of them, it's a bit more high touch. So psychedelic companies that biotech companies that are earlier on that really maybe don't have that message crafted towards an institutional biotech investor and, and maybe, you know, need some help with indication selection and, and, and figuring out what that messaging should be. And, and that's what we help. We think it's important to bring this institutional capital into the space because we think it brings stability. You know, we've seen a lot of uh, early psychedelic investors come in or, you know, high net worth that don't fully understand the length of the drug development process and and they can't really be additive towards any staying power for any of these companies within the space. So for real right. long-term stability, you want the like institutional biotech guys to come in who have, you know, seen companies go through commercialization and know what that process looks like and know what advice to give. Like that's that's what I think is going to create real stability here. And, and, you know, these are the relationships that we have and have active conversations with continually. So, you know, really that's it. It's, 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 uh, it's connecting, uh, a lot of these guys to that more stable capital. Right. Right. Cause that is what it takes to, 
to make those steps and to have that have that legitimacy. Are there any uh, other conferences on your radar or other events um, around the space that are are good to go and and to to get a better beat on the industry or to to network with uh, with like minded folks? Yeah, um, I I just came back from a really cool conference in SF called Brain Mind that was all just neuro focused and huh. and uh, a lot of people that are very interested in the space and uh, you know. A lot of cool science discussed there. That was really good. Um, I know that the the Wonderland Conference in Miami is coming up. Um, yes, um, you're not the first to mention that one. I think it sounds like a, a good one for the industry or kind of a, a must-attend if you're nearby or if you have the time to get down. Yeah, it's it's a good event. It'll be fun. Um, I'll be speaking there on two different panels. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, it's... It's uh it's an interesting environment right now. I think like more capital is gonna start coming back into the space soon, but it's been tough for a few of the companies within the psychedelic sector. Um, you know, I'd say they are a mix of some of these uh more consumer based brands and hmm. you know, now this year they're bringing longevity into the mix and uh there's some psychedelic biotech stuff there i mean I, I i like going to it just to be part of the conversation and they have some great events surrounding the conference as well oh nice yeah those are sometimes it can be difficult with the in, industry events to kind of find the ones that are uh, right for you right they're gonna they're accomplishing the current goal or it's not it's not just a huge party or maybe it is if that's what is if that's what the goal is but um i think there's yeah. a lot of events happening it got to pick and choose a little bit uh, and it, it's getting harder to be at them all as the as the industry is expanding and you know going coast to coast uh, i know some folks are making the conference circuits already yeah. it sounds like you're not far off that trail with two panels coming up man that's awesome that's it yeah <laughs> hey great did did you ever uh think that you would be on panels for the psychedelic space or uh, is that like a complete 180 from kind of what you expected or kind of who you thought you would become, you know, earlier in life? Uh, yeah, I definitely would not have expected that. I would say <laughs> I am someone who is, you know, like was for a long period of time, uh, a, uh, it, it, it definitely an introvert and, and didn't really like going out and engaging with people and, and, uh, and thinking about talking in front of a group of people would not have been something that I thought I would fall into, but I sort of fell into it. I, um, you know, I, I am interested in the topics and I was asked to speak at a couple of things and then it just started evolving from there. Awesome, man. Just kind of that those first ones were the catalyst. Got you, got your feet wet. Yep, that's it. I think the uh, I spoke at a few Lucky Leafs um, for the cannabis space. One of them was at a horrible time in the evening where I actually had like five people there. I think that was the hardest, <laughs> the hardest oh, part yeah. about the whole thing. But the oh, all yeah. the other speaking events, I'd, I had some some serious nerves going up. But I think as soon as I got started, it felt comfortable. I was still a work in progress learning about that yeah <laughs> you can think you're ready to talk i guess and then you see the 70 empty seats staring at you <laughs> it's like oh 
okay. <laughs> this is a new challenge I didn't prepare for. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. I don't know how I'd handle that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to face. You got to grow from those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice, man. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show, Michael. It's been awesome to talk with you about the, the different angles of the psychedelic space and kind of some potential futures there and the and the benefits with a federalization potential reschedule right bringing some in institutional capital to play i think it's um very promising to see and i, and I hope we're all in, in for some great surprises down the road uh, in the meantime where can folks reach out to um to contact you to bring you on to their psychedelic conferences and to um, talk shop about potential capital yeah, that's it. I mean, our website is uh, www.dragonfly44.capital. And then you can reach out to me. At, and my email address is michael at dragonfly44.capital. Hey, awesome, man. I'll talk to you later and hopefully meet you at a conference in the near future. All right. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you having me on. This is really great. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.